Welcome to the Brewing Podcast. This is episode 43. We're recording it, I believe, on the 25th of January, uh, 2017, and uh, tomorrow we should be releasing episode 41, and so I'm sure that that is going to be a little controversial. Anyways, today I have a friend here who is going to talk with me. It looks like the the standard um, two-person format that we've done up till now doesn't seem like it's going to work out. It's just too difficult to work out the logistics of any particular person on the phone uh, during any particular day. And as a result, uh, we're going to play around with different people that we talk to and perhaps not keep things consistent. So today, we're going to talk to Joe. And uh, Joe and I have two things in common. One is that we are both STEM kids, uh, and that means science, technology, uh is it engineering and math? Yeah, there we go. Yep, and engineering and mathematics. Indeed. And then, um, whereas I've always been more of a, a st, and I guess you're more of an M. But um, uh, we're going to talk to Joe about uh, STEM topics, and we're going to talk a little bit about anti-state communism. Uh, as many of you know, I have a, a little bit of an obsession with anti-state communism, uh, or as I used to always call it, the tendency that has finished all the anarchist reading, and so... Uh, so turns to Marx. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, so, Joe, introduce yourself. Um, hey, I'm. Uh, it's good to talk with you. I've kind of been listening to your podcast voraciously for the past year and uh, helps me get through the day at work. But, um, yeah, I, uh, like you said, I'm a, I'm a STEM kid, uh, sort of bounced around the fields of biology and chemistry and eventually settled on... Uh, electrical engineering um and what does an electrical engineer do with her day um well it, it the field is pretty big um so yeah. there's you know it largely is sort of split into you sort of have the the hard hat engineers and the lab coat engineers where um lab coat engineers are tend to be sort of designers they sort of um go through they basically apply principles of electromagnetism in designing a device um, like an integrated circuit or something. Those are the guys you see in like the bunny suits in a clean room and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how many people and, if, if you were actually making a chip like for the Intel people wearing bunny suits, how, ma- how what percentage of, of those people are actually are electrical engineers? Um, the ones designing it are all electrical engineers large, and most of them have uh, advanced degree, like PhDs and things like that. Right. that that's like kind of a very upper echelon tier of the field. Um, the ones who are in the um, the clean rooms, I, it, I I don't know the the numbers on that, but um, for the most part, you have I think sort of uh, technicians, engineering technicians who are um, kind of moving the wafers around and operating the machines. Like a lot of it's automated. You have sure, a very sure. small workforce there. Yeah, I just I rem- I mentioned this, sir. I, so I'm sort of asking around the question because uh, a chemist, right? Which I was trained to be a chemist, something like 80% of chemists work in analytical uh, chemistry, which is sort of mm-hmm. the chemistry of making very precise measurements, and yep. 
and you know being so predictable that that you can that you know that you know every time that you do that you run a procedure you're going to get within you know 0.01% of the <clears throat> variance of the last time you ran the procedure mm-hmm. and and so it's a huge amount of people who who work degrees end up working as essentially fancy lab rats and so i was, I was just yeah say, I, it, it, I, I was a uh, percentage yeah it's 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 almost exactly like that um i, I was a, i worked in an analytical lab um because I, I when i had my associate's degree as sort of a uh, chemistry technician and a lot of it yeah it was just calibrating balances and um just making sure that the standards and the instruments all lined up so the chemist could come in and run the measurements and fill up their notebooks, and I'd go and reset the instruments again and let the next one come through with you know their their work. Yeah, it's funny we've never talked about this because I I did a very similar job when I was younger, much younger. <laughs> mine was actually mine involved glass work and uh, injecting into a gas chromatography at the end of the process. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I helped uh, set up little vials for those those yep. things. Okay, so onward. But, uh, yeah, um, I guess like I and so that that's sort of like you know the lab code engineers, and then you have the hard head engineers, which is kind of what I do right now. And that's um, I I look I work alongside like electricians and uh, so the production blue collar workforce and um, kind of direct work in sort of a somewhat of a managerial sense, but I have no management power, so it's right. just sort of I'm there as sort of a technical advisor. You, re- you read the uh, plans. Yeah, and then I translate them into procedure, yep. work procedures. Cool. That's interesting. Uh, so I guess, you know, the other thing, of course, that we have in common is is radical politics. For you, I mean, you know, if you're in STEM, like the percentage of people who are involved in anything that sounds and looks political in STEM is like 0.0%, right? Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot of us. Yeah, and, and I'm curious as to... Um, how like did you find politics first, or did you find STEM stuff first? Um, I had always sort of had a knack for math, and my parents had sort of set me on this path of like, kind of reinforcing kind of my interest in that sort of stuff. You know, giving me chemistry sets and electronic kits and things growing up um, to sort of foster that. And they also sort of I you know I they also fostered uh, art stuff and my art teachers always liked me so I kind of had a leaning in that direction and I think that's probably why um, I was sort of drawn to and exposed to sort of radical politics circles because they tend to a lot of the more interesting elements of you know the artistic people my age tend to be into those sorts of things as well so but in terms of you know how I always saw like where my career was going it always just seemed a lot more practical to apply this you know skills that these skills that I have and you know the sciences to sort of work of course and do you want to talk uh, can you want to talk a little bit about so so of course the difference between the two of us is that I'm a uh, dyed-in-the-wool sectarian anarchist and you are some sort of frou-frou anti-state communist. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to talk about at least the, the kind of work you do in that space? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I kind of came to these this sort of weirdly nuanced, uh, narrow, and um, oddly specific uh, form of uh, 
post-left communism <laughs> and uh, just through, you know, writing people whose like magazines that I'd read and um, through uh, just exploring some of the, the fringes of the radical bookshelves that you would find in bookstores around where I grew up. And um, I, I guess what, what specifically did you, did you want to know about that? Well, I guess what differentiates the perspective that you share with the people who you work with? What's the difference between that and Takoon or that and um, uh, Kevin Keating? Okay. Um, well, yeah. I, the, so the people I'm I'm in an organization called Internationalist Perspective. Um, put out a journal. Try and do that about once or twice a year. Um, and it's, and there's, there's chapters all over the U.S. Is that true? Um, it's I wouldn't. I wouldn't say they I wouldn't call them chapters. It's kind of we're a, a pretty small group. Um, I'm kind of the youngest in it by about uh, <laughs> 20 years, <laughs> and so it's you know we're we we get we have a meet, we try and have a meeting once a year and decide on a set of articles that um, we're going to be compiling into a quarterly journal and we publish it um, and so, so try and meet up. We try and meet over Skype like once a month as well, just to keep in touch and see where we're all at and what we're working on. And so uh, talk a little bit about the distinct perspective. Okay, so I mean... Compared uh, to ones that people would know about. Yeah, so IP um, came out of... The, they were an early fraction that broke away from this organization called the... Uh, International Communist Current, um, ICC, and they were sort of a, a less communist organization that uh, coalesced and or kind of con- consolidated some of the uh, currents of uh, younger um, and veteran sort of ultra-left uh, actors in Europe, um, and they and it happened around like the late seventies. So it's like the post sixty eight ultra left uh, currents. They they tried to form a sort of central organization, and shortly after that, the IP sort of defected because of some because of some disagreements they had in terms of the orientation towards theoretical. Um, questions and how, you know, whether or not all those things were worked out and whether it would, it's more appropriate to focus on a sort of party building political work, which they disagreed with. And um, So who are some of the figures, intellectual figures that are associated with the ICC and the IP? The ICC, uh, so ICC kind of came from the, their big, their head honcho, their large, their kind of central organizing figure in the beginning was this guy named Mark Schirich, and he kind of came from the Italian left communist tradition, which is, uh, is it can also be called Bordigist, um, and so, so Bordigist as opposed to uh, as opposed to with the autonomous stuff. Yeah, and, and so the yeah, not the the. the Autonomous kind of came later. These guys were sort of uh, active in like, the 20s. Um, yeah, and did Bordiga die in the 50s? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was. He, he kind of came out of there, this sort of French uh, Bordigist scene that kind of also uh, people like Dave came out of as well. Right. Um, so it, 
Shirik was a, a much more of a sort of Leninist, you know, a party man and um, kind of very charismatic and had, you know, traveled from, I think he had founded or was a founder of like the Palestinian uh, Communist Party. And he was like a Trotskyist and had later moved to Brazil and then back to France and started the ICC. So he's a, it had a bit of a cult of personality around him and people who disagreed with him were quickly thrown out as is kind of typical in the, the ultra left, uh, organizations, um, in, including like the situationists. Um, so tell me a bit about, uh, so the IP has been around since the eighties. Yeah. They, they formed in 86. And primarily what does it do? Um, other than put out a, an annual paper. Well, that's about it. Um, I don't think we don't really have too many pretensions as to being anything more than that. We publish what I think is a great journal, and that's about that's about it. And what's what's the article you like the best in the in the last issue you published? Um, the last issue pub- uh, published featured, it, and it was this was re- in the works before I joined, so there wasn't anything. I didn't have too much of an input in tor- in terms of. Um, what appeared in it, um, but there's a very large article in it called "The World as We See It." Uh, some reference points, and it's kind of a was a an exercise for the uh, all of us in the group to sort of lay out sort of where we're where we kind where where we came from in terms of theoretically and organizationally, and where we're at right now. And um, it's a really long one, and it sort of lays out what we're all about. What do you like about it? Um, I just think that it's it, it's very kind of open in the sense like the or a lot of a lot of organizations like in, that are on this sort of uh, on the commie end of things tend to be pretty like closed system builders that want to you know sketch out a program that mm-hmm. they think that you know, we've sort of worked all these out. Now we just now we need to like organize other people around these like principles that we've laid out here, and and from there we'll make the revolution. This text is sort of a, um, I think, makes it sketches an outline of just their areas of theory that we're interested in in exploring, and um, it doesn't try and answer all of the questions. And what do you not like about the most current issue? Um, this is something, I think it, it's also like the same um, article as well. And it, it's that I, you know, one of the questions that came up in while writing it was, um, you know, who are we writing this for? And like, who is the audience? And I think that that's, that's a, you know, we're putting, in a, in a lot of ways, it is sort of us talking to ourselves. Um, and, you know, it can, it can feel a little bit, um, navel gazy, but I don't, I, you know, I, I don't want to, I would, I, I don't want to use that word. It just seems that we're, we're talking to ourselves here. And I think that in order for these prompts to be useful, we need to, I think that we need to have like more of a discussion with other people. So did you, um, actually, before we go there, so the 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 main topic that we're going to talk about tonight in a couple different pieces is we're going to talk about J20, 
Um, mm-hmm. It's five. It's five days after J20, and uh, clearly, <clears throat> you have some direct experiences with J20. And I definitely want to follow up on the thread about who are we talking to uh, mm-hmm. in terms of talking about what was good and bad about J20. Because I think that even though we're just five days away, I think we can reflect on J20. And so talk talk a little bit about your experience. Okay. Yeah. So J20 was a, an interesting night. Um, I had a come home a little bit early to avoid the, the downtown demonstration. Um, had a few friends here who were part of organizing um, what was supposed to be a breakaway march. Um, and um, instead, I had decided to go up to um, the another event that was planned in um, in Seattle, which was the uh, uh, the talk that was put on by this guy uh, Milo. Um, and there there was a, you know a, a planned small demonstration uh, opposing his uh, event. Um, and there was what what was planned downtown. Um, it eventually not worked out, and then we saw what happened with uh, the large confrontation between um, the people trying to see that Milo event and people who were um, there to stop it, and which uh, resulted in somebody a, sh- a shooting where uh, one of the people there protesting it had gotten shot by somebody who had gone to attend it. Um, and and so I guess just let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit more. Did they um, did the sort of the bulk of the people who were going to do the breakaway march make it up to was it UW? Yeah, it was um, at the university. Yeah. So did they make it up to the UW in time for this confrontation? Like in other words, did it go from being a small event to a big event because the breakaway march didn't happen? Yeah. So my understanding of what had happened downtown was that the police were sort of prepared for um, what had been planned. And so they were routed pretty quickly and the Seattle police department snatched their goodies and um, they weren't, the, they they just seemed really prepared for it, you know the the kind of uh, I guess uh, smashy smashy that is uh, that usually accompanies breakaway marches and they seemed sure. pretty determined to prevent that uh, and so yeah at the the Milo event we 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 had gotten in line and were sort of talking with you know some of the people who were there and um, you you were able to get inside yeah yeah okay uh-huh. um, go go ahead huh. Go ahead. Oh yeah. So we, uh, you know, we were talking with people out there, and it, it didn't seem like there was. I mean, there was quite a bit of people filling up this uh, square area at the university, um, and the line had gotten pretty long. Uh, it was snaking around the whole, um, the whole, uh, what's called Red Square, and. Um, but it, you know, as soon as the the protesters from downtown um, came. They, uh, it, it definitely, be, it felt a lot larger there, and I think it's because the crowd kind of um, all smushed in together. The line sort of disintegrated into a, a large uh, face-off between these two sides. Oh, it did. Yeah. Okay. And um, uh, I guess just today, the the victim of the shooting came out and said something along the lines of that they wanted dialogue rather than uh, confrontation? Um, yeah. He, a peacemaking move? Yeah, well, I think he, it, it, from the sounds of it, he just doesn't want to uh, press charges and, right. yeah, wanted to maybe have a discussion with this guy because from what I can tell, the person 
who who shot him was uh, if you he turned himself in and he sort of claimed that he was uh, he was afraid and did it in self defense because he thought that he was being approached by a Nazi, um, which is interesting um, because the you know the he, the person who was shot was a there a demonstrator who you know the people demonstrating against the event were calling the attendees nazis and here you have this guy who's attending calling the other side nazis and so it seems that there's a i i don't think i think everybody involved was sort of operating on a, a very different level and just nobody was really understanding each other and like were they literally shouting at each other nazi 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 from both sides while the, oh yeah, yeah. And and when the person got shot, I, was that the end of everything? Um. Well, it, it it happened. It was like a pretty surreal moment. We were we we had kind of moved in in sort of the middle part of you know the where the confrontation was going up up by the front of the steps where the a lot of people were sort of um, gathered together and uh, somebody on the. Um, the, I guess the Milo supporters side unfurled a uh, Pepe the Frog flag, and that, that seemed to get a lot of laughs and cheers from both sides. And uh, then after that, you kind of hear like uh, what sounded like fireworks, and um, things kind of were still people were still shoving each other and yelling back and forth. And then word kind of traveled throughout the crowd that somebody had been shot, and. Shortly after that, the police sort of swooped in and circled their bikes and pushed everybody away. And at that point, people started dispersing. I don't think anybody really wanted to be around because it wasn't so clear as to what happened or who or if there was still somebody armed walking around and things like that. And was it just one shot or was it several shots? Um, I just heard one. Um, I would. I think from what I've read about, like... Um, in the news that only one uh, it just says that they uh, the person was shot in the gut mm-hmm. so I don't think any I, it sounds like it's just a single shot and so uh, obviously there's a hundred directions we could go in but but I guess just to get started uh, can you talk about the demographics of the crowd yeah um, that was that was kind of the reason we had gone there is to sort of see you know who 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 are these people um who are going to see this this guy Milo talk and um there's kind of i noticed about I, I think like three or four categories of people and you know the first one were um the what i'd call the you know, the trump bros it's sort of like the your typical college republican dude um sort of the dad probably owns a dealership <laughs> and they had their make america great hat hats on and uh breaking out into like the fist pumping usa chain or Trump, 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 and um, they're sort of who you would expect. Were they a um, plurality? Were they what? A plurality. Oh, were they a plurality? Yeah, there were. There was, you know, they weren't all together. There was sort of scatterings of them. Um, then you had sort of the, the conservative gays. There's like a couple of them, sort of right. very. And you know, Milo's kind of their boy. Uh, um, exactly. And there's like you know a couple of them, but they're you know they're very identifiable. They're kind of going all out, flamboyant, and sort of dressed up. And but you know they they 
there wasn't too many of them. Um, yeah, and then there, there's sort of, you know, the big bad guys that everybody is writing about um, lately. It's the, the alt-right guys, um, which I think kind of, there's two types of those, that, and they kind of got into longer discussions with a couple. Um, one of them was uh, seemed to be you know, very interested in sort of why I was attending, because um, uh, he very quickly found that I don't agree with <laughs> the things that they that they do, and I'm not. I wasn't exactly jazzed about Donald Trump being elected, and but you know I was more than willing to talk with this guy, and he seemed um, happy to indulge me on that. Um, but you know his whole thing was sort of like he he's like. Oh, was a, had had been awakened by YouTube by watching YouTube videos, and that was sort of his. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's pretty it's pretty dire. And you know, you talk to you, it's they kind of take you down a rabbit hole. They start off with sort of like you know talking about like for him it was testing the waters with these ideas of like you know net contributors and net drains to the tax infrastructure and like which demographics fit those things, and then gets into sort of women and paid differences and then he, he started going off about like race and IQ and how he was listening to a podcast about it and I just told him I kind of shut the discussion down at that point and uh, he, he moved on when I told him that I just was not I don't I think that that's fucking terrible and um, it, and uh, you know he seemed like kind of a I don't know like a fucking nerd <laughs> he wasn't it, it, but you know it seemed to have like ideologically bought into that shit like that you could call the alt-right the, the uglier elements of it which are these sort of quasi like white nationalists and then, then you had sort of these other guys who were just like it kind of looked like dudes who didn't get out much um mm. Uh, were a little bit like maybe not maybe knew the difference. Maybe knew the difference between an Xbox controller and a PlayStation controller. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these these are the guys that were sort of like you know they they were probably the the demographic that really gave a fuck about GamerGate. <laughs> and, right, right, sure. Um, and I, you my, know that's how Milo came came about, right? Yeah, but I mean that's sort of how he he had been around prior to that. Um, but he definitely found a way to become this, um, I guess, a lightning rod among these guys who seem to think, who seem to like harassing women on the internet around the issue of video games. But, um, you know, they, and, you know, they seem to be like that. And I think the, the shooter, probably the guy who, um, shot the, the protester, I think probably fit into this category. Um, and was, was, was the gender like a hundred percent male? Like you, like you seem to be describing? Well, for the most part, yeah, there was, wow. there was a, a few, um, uh, it, because it's on camp. I think a lot of, there was also like, you know, the, the, the last demographic that I was going to describe were just sort of like students who were kind of milling around and wondering what was going on. I, there, you know, there's a lot of women, I think, that kind of fit that category. And But, you know, we were, we were like right behind us, there was a, a group of girls who were there to see the talk and they seemed to be sort of, I don't know, your general liberal college student, got to hear all sides, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, he has this right to talk here and... Um, I, they didn't seem to me very invested in in any of it. They seemed more interested in talking about sort of like the the cl- 
Clinton campaign and the shortcomings of that and kind of <laughs> standard, standard, I guess, you know, standard politics that I think most people care about. But, um, yeah, that, that's sort of the makeup of the crowd there. Um, and did the protesters make the crowd wild, wildly, uh, uh, like, were there people of color and non-conforming people amongst the protesters? Or oh, yeah. W- w- was everybody masked up? Um, well, at first it seemed like a lot of the, the people were kind of, the, the people protesting were largely, um, they looked like students. It was, it was pretty uh-huh. passive, and they were just sort of on, I saw a lot of discussions between, you know, people there to protest and people who were waiting in line. Um, and, the, you know, some of the discussions I saw, they looked like they were pretty civil, and uh, people were, it, it, it didn't, it wasn't very tense at that point, but I think, you know, like once the uh, the black block showed up, um, it, it was hard, it was harder to tell um, who, there was definitely like more people um, masked up, um, and it, I, I didn't know or assume more, uh, other than like some people who I recognized and uh, said so, hi to. So, uh, well, obviously I know what would trigger the protesters to start shouting fascist or Nazi at the, mm-hmm. uh, at the line. Uh, tell me why the, the people who were waiting in line, why they called the protesters fascists and or Nazis. Um, that was, I think, I mean, I think that they, their, their interpretation of, you know, the black bloc in, I mean, you have to kind of like look at like what the message is. They were sort of there attending to see like this Milo guy seems to sell this narrative of, you know, the, um, this, these leftists who are in power and, uh, censoring, uh, their, their common sense and enforcing this sort of political correctness. And I mean, he, he's uh, a free speech absolutist. Yeah, yeah, he definitely is, and it, in a lot of ways, is just sort of this. Um, like, if you look at some of his talks, and when he's a little bit more earnest, he kind of just is this a pretty standard uh, conservative civic nationalist, <laughs> and um, you know, doesn't he says a lot of like pretty heinous shit in terms of being an inflammatory asshole. Um, but it, his when he really shows his cards, he's just a you know a standard conservative that I think is probably even a little bit more tame than figures like Ann Coulter or whatever. Sure. Um, but you know it's it's the people who sort of gather around this guy um, and and have some sort of investment in this culture war he's trying to incite um, that I think are a little bit more problematic. And you kind of have those like Richard Spencer types, white nationalists and whatnot, sort of egging it on and sort of in the background of all of this. Um, yeah, but but yeah we're, it, talking, we're talking about an event. You don't have to talk about the yeah, background. You can actually talk yeah, about the event so, Yeah, and so I think the reason why that they were they were calling the, the protesters fascist is because um, the, you, you, got, you brought it up with the whole free speech absolutism. They saw this as sort of an attack on, you know, their event right to or the, their right to host and attend a, an event and that this being shut down was sort of a uh, attack on their rights and you know their conception of the nazis were the the guys who took away all the rights <laughs> and and so that that's sort of that's sort of i think where they're coming from and there was an interesting moment where sort of both the the police and the uh the the demonstrators were were blocking entrance to the event, <laughs> and um, they, I think that they sort of the people who were on the side trying to get in were seeing this as sort of like the 
from their perspective, probably saw uh, it looked authoritarian to them. Well, how, how would you respond to somebody who could who could get out enough words to make the case that you just made, basically saying it looks like the protesters and the cops are on the same side, and and I do believe in free speech, and and you both seem uh, connected to shutting down free speech. How how would you actually respond to that criticism? That uh, can, you, can you say the last part again? That the cops and the protesters were united in shutting down free speech. Oh yeah. Well, I mean the. I, I would. I, I don't know how I would respond to that. It was. Just, it was an interesting thing to see. That's for sure. Um, and I, I'm not entirely sure if that's the best way to to go about uh, protesting events like these. Um, but uh, yeah, what, so what you, do you think about that? Um, well, I mean, within anarchist circles, I think I've probably been one of the strongest. Uh, defenders of free speech for a number of years mm-hmm. um and it's definitely cost me a great deal because this this position that basically says fascism and anything that can be called fascist should be shut down as soon as possible and if and if you don't shut it down as soon as possible you're you're essentially a fascist that's a very popular perspective within anarchist circles and um and i don't I definitely don't agree with it but i do sort of agree with the with the strategic point that you know, if if you don't shut down fascist early and hard, then then they're going to be healthier and fiercer. But I'm I'm just not sure we live in a world that's anything like World War Two. Yeah, that's that's I agree 100 percent on that. That last point is that you know it, when we use the term fascism and we look at you know what, when we look at these guys, like I don't think we're really facing anything that really resembles historical fascism. <laughs> And well, well, it's hard, you know, because of course, like you know, if you're having that argument, the counter to that argument basically says, well, if we're if we're banning Muslims from entering the country, if we're if we're exporting people, these are the modern equivalent that that happened in, more in Germany than in Italy, but you know, but that that basically are the things that we're fighting for, and and so so to me, I guess you know where I would go from there is to say, well, to what extent does it make sense to make parallels using history? is the mechanism by which we draw these parallels because yeah and and can we sort of like agree to a, a set of criteria you know because i'm not sure that we could agree to a set of criteria and then we sort of just revert back to name calling yeah and it's i i'm on the same page there it's i i kind of am in, of the, the position that i think that this stuff should we should try and understand it on its own terms rather because and i think sort of the impulse to 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 label it fascism is one that you know i think Kind of, you, it, there's there's a motivation to do that because you 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 know all the reasons why fascism is bad, and we we have a uh, a long um, I guess worldview I guess to sort of draw on that that is that's fully equipped to to handle fascism. But um, I think that this stuff I don't think it really fits the criteria of um, of what I would consider resembles historical fascism. And I think that we're you know we're in the 21st century now and uh, we're facing very different problems than the ones that um, were faced. I mean, there may be some similarities, but I think that, you know, we're we're a pretty long ways from interwar Europe right now. And um, I think that it's it's important to, to have some sort of appreciation for things as they exist now rather than to try and uh, re- reframe them in in terms of a 
uh, a fascist moment. Yeah. yeah, I think that for me the 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 part that I sort of think is more the part uh, from the sort of right um, that I strongly identify with is that most people experience fascism as being um, when you're on the wrong side of a mob. Mm-hmm. That's that's I think what most people experience fascism as being, and I do think that in this case, sort of like the protesters or or our friends or the quote unquote leftists um, do come off much more like a coherent and integrated gang or mob uh, with with a singular message that basically if you don't if you're not with them uh, you would be subject to. You know, whether it's just getting punched in the face or a wide variety of other things. Yeah, and they, actually, have the, they have the uniforms too. <laughs> right. Well, but but you know, even to speak about my own example, where I did this presentation that was uh, possibly going to be critical of Antifa, the the way in which the people who stood against me stood against me in this very unified way is exactly the sort of thing that would terrify most people, and they would definitely not want to be, you know, in my shoes. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when my shit got trashed as a result of, of this, you know, weird false unity by probably a total stranger, you know, I mean, like, of course, many people can be sympathetic, but mostly what it teaches, I think, most of our friends is to stay silent on these topics. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's something that I, I, I talk about with a lot of hesitancy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, I, 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 I'd like to think that I'm on the good side of a lot of um, some of the people who are involved with this stuff, and even though... I may have my disagreements with them. I am sort of a... I, I don't think I'm on <laughs> their radar, whereas I, I, I guess with you, it, it seems you, you sort of carry a certain uh, weight among the scene and perhaps probably see your critique of uh, their activity as something that they need to do something about because yeah, the, the, the scene is, you know, it, it's also, you know, when you don't really have too much power um, over influencing the the world and addressing sort of the real problems that we're facing in society, you kind of do this like cannibalization routine. Yep, fair enough. I mean, I I have to say that, you know, my own particular read on this Milos person in particular is that I think they're more like an entertainer than they are an actual political figure. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't don't think he's sincere at all in a lot of this stuff. Well, and I just, yeah, I just think that they see their future as, you know, sort of being a guest on talk shows uh, Mm -hmm. rather than than, uh, haranguing the truth you know, to, to head in a particular direction. Yeah, he, he doesn't seem that, like, he seems to not even really like the people who are in attendance of some of his yeah. biggest fans. You'd think that, you know, given some of the shit that he says, I don't think he would, you know, be a, a huge, he'd want to spend too much time with the people who seem to care a lot about ethics and video game journalism or something right. like that. Well, in fact, we don't have a, a ton of time. Um, but I do want to talk about sort of the other aspect of the spectacle that we're sort mm-hmm. of also touching on when we're talking about anyone seeing this Milo person as being an important political project um, is basically the J20 just happened, which was uh, a lot of our friends put in a lot of energy over the past few months to try to get people to come to Washington, D.C. and to perform uh, protest against the incoming president. Um how, what did you think? What did you see in in Washington D.C. last Friday? Um, you know, I, I I see the you know I I can't really I I don't think that it is much more than you know your your standard 
protests um, and you know having seen sort of a lot of the the anti-war things that had gone on and um, other like demonstrations that we had had here in town over the years um, I mean I, I, I see people smashing up DC and I you know that's that's great go do it <laughs> um, but um, it seems like you know everybody went home and back to work afterwards yeah, it is a little disconcerting to me. The, the I think that the charges are not going to slide away all that easily. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be sort of under the yoke of the state, um, especially financially, for mm-hmm. a number of years. I think that's the part that I'm the most concerned about is the number of people's lives who are going to be negatively consequenced because of this uh, because of the stupidity or or be, be, because of basically how easy it is to get caught. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you saw that the person who punched Richard Spencer has like a five thousand dollar bounty on them. Yeah, that kind of stuff is pretty terrifying. It's very scary. Um, yeah, the 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 and that you know that's sort of what you know kind of dovetails a little bit with what we were talking about with some of these um, characters on the the uh, sort of fascist or alt right or whatever is that you know there's there's a lot of uh, people out there that they they seem to have some sort of a media apparatus in place where and are, are able to sort of fundraise and uh, I guess release personal information about people who criticize them and things like that and I think that that's something that I think that any any or any organization or um, people who want to confront it are, are going to have to find a way to deal with. It's, it's definitely a, a pretty um, scary situation. Yeah, I mean, we saw this after the Sacramento events of last August also, where both sides immediately started to dox anyone whose pictures they could take. Um, yeah, I think that that's actually sort of the lay of the land for everybody who's going to do it. Yeah, pub- pub- and there are... There- there were people like when the uh, you know the May first uh, demonstration um, so the, that happened around the time of Occupy here. There were a lot of people who uh, got in trouble because of um, photos, and it seemed like the police departments were looking very carefully at all of those and managed to identify people. And it's a pretty you know sort of as the the state gets a little bit more sophisticated and and it sort of gathering all of this data and, and identifying people uh, through it. That's something that it, it's it's really new. And I there's going to have to, it, it's changed, it, like you said, it changes the lay of the land. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I'm just quite concerned that uh, a lot of our friends are sloppy. You know, one of the things that was embarrassing about J20 were the, the people who chose to talk to reporters were not, our best and brightest. Yeah, and yeah, and I, I don't know how you can really control that. Um, it seems like, from what I've always seen, the best policy is to just not engage with the media. I don't, I've yeah. never seen that really working out too well. At least media that you have no control over. <laughs> so, no, for sure, for sure. I think I think it's better to sort of you know, like you you kind of talk about creating um, infrastructure, and I think that that that's important because if we you know want to engage with media, it should be our own. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that would be another. Uh, I think that what Crime Thing did with their live sites was interesting, but I feel like about seventy percent of the writing that happened for that had been pre-written. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it had a very, like, sort of canned article feel rather than sort of like, I'm here at the corner of 14th and 1st and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. It didn't have that sort of, like, Twitter feel to it at all, which is surprising because I'm sure that there were a couple dozen friendly Twitter accounts going off all day. Yeah, I, I, I'm not connected to the Twitter world, so it's um, something I'm not too familiar with. But yeah, it, it, that, that sort of live reporting, it's um, usually like pretty, um, uh, I guess, kind of almost telegraphed in a sort of way that, you know, very short bursts of information. Um, but yeah, like you said, with the, the, the site that Crime Think had, a lot of, yeah, the articles were sort of, it, it's, it's almost as if somebody was sitting there with a laptop kind of... <laughs> Yeah. Typing out paragraphs as these things. I mean, I mean Crime Think is known for having a curated message rather than sort of letting wildness uh, run free. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, perhaps that was the right move in this particular moment. But I didn't see Crime Think quoted very much in any of the mainstream media coverage of the event, which I was definitely a little surprised about, given that they sort of did the work to to put out a, a coherent message. Well, I mean. I don't think the I think the mainstream media is much more interested in in showing sort of the the scenes of uh, uh, destruction and um, sort of contrasting it with sort of acceptable uh, versions of protest. Yeah, Yeah. it is sort of amusing to me that you know the biggest takeaway of the day is that memes are the sort of the people's way to communicate their feelings about these moments rather than Twitter or other mechanisms. You know, the number of really funny uh, Richard Spencer getting hit memes that came out. I mean, I, it was dozens, if not hundreds. Yeah, that, I mean, I, that's always wonderful. And I, I, I like the um, it, it, the sort of, I mean, it, it's so entertaining because it's like there's a certain level of like pettiness to it. And it's just kind of like, hi, you got hit in the face. <laughs> and, um, and and it, it just lends itself so well to sort of like, you know, like especially with music when it has sort of a uh, like a bass drop or something to it because it's That's such true. a sudden moment. And it's it's really satisfying to see that guy get hit. So any takeaways from Jay um, for you? I, you know, it's still something that I'm, I'm in, like processing. Like I, I am constantly surprised as about over uh, like what happens every day lately in in this world of you know like politics and um, it's it's going to if this is the shape of things to come, I think it's it's going to be very, a very strange few years coming up ahead. For sure. Well, thank you for your time, Joe. We'll mm-hmm. talk again soon. All right. Good to talk to you.